welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 121, Advanced Trapping Sets for Wild Turkey Predators with Trent Masterson, part two. And I am your host, and the guy who today was reminded of an awesome hunt from last season. And if you haven't seen it already, I don't want to spoil it, but you can actually watch the hunt. So go to my Facebook fan page, that is facebook.com slash I am turkey hunting, and I've posted a video on there from my hunt with Corey New and Jim Lieben with the Turkeyologists. I think you may enjoy that one. One of the reasons that I got excited about that hunt is because it reminded me that that was the day after opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama last year. And right now, today, we are 27 days, 10 hours, 39 minutes, and 8 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. We are now under one month. Opening day in Alabama starts in four weeks. Four weeks from today, I will be turkey hunting. All right, I have a quickie intro and outro for you guys today as we are steady preparing for the NWTF convention and putting the finishing touches on a few things. Last minute, of course, because that's how I roll. So today on the show, I have part two of my interview with Trent Masterson with some advanced trapping sets for wild turkey predators. If you missed last week's episode, then be sure to go back and listen to it as we talk mainly about trapping nest predators. And this week, we're talking about poult and adult turkey predators, and we discuss the best ways to dispatch those animals that we do trap. Okay, so instead of me telling you all about the interview, why don't I just let you listen to it, and I'll see you guys on the other side. So let's talk about some bigger predators, and the ones that I think that when most people think of being a predator of a mature turkey or a poult, they're thinking of, of these, but coyotes. Yeah. A lot. And I'll be, Go ahead. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I, I think the coyote, as far as a turkey killer, Although they do kill turkeys because we all, I'm sure a lot of the audience out there listening to this has called coyotes in with a turkey call. Absolutely. They're not the best. They're not the best turkey predator out there. Most turkeys get away from them. Big toms will turn and fight them. Um, they're not the best. Now, bobcats, on the other hand, they're very effective turkey predators, ambush predators. Now, coyotes, I don't think, and I think it's starting to come to light with some of the studies that are have been done in the South how effective fawn predators coyotes are. Um, they can really, oh, yeah. really drastically lower the fawn production in a, on, a, on a place. Coyotes can devastate the deer populations, and especially these new these eastern coyotes we have now, as big as they are and, and, and effective predators they are. But when it comes to talking about turkeys, bobcats are, you know, having, keeping your bobcat population under control for adult turkeys. You know, the studies that I researched going back to that was man is the number one adult turkey predator. Bobcats are number two turkey predator. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, like I said, I think as far as a turkey predator, coyotes kind of get a bad rep sometimes, even though I do know they, you know, we've all called them in sure just with a a, you know, a few yelps and clucks, they tackle our decoys and they know it's kind of part of it. Yeah. And I have called in both coyotes and bobcats. Mm -hmm. And and I would Mm -hmm. say I have 
called in more coyotes than bobcats. I think, you know, they're, okay. to me, I, I kind of think the coyote is on the hunt 24-7, whereas a bobcat is probably not. I think a coyote could probably go from a dead nap to being on a hunt in a fraction of a yeah, second. Exactly. Yeah. So that's probably why we see, or at least I see a lot more coyotes than bobcats when I'm calling or calling in yeah. more coyotes. So I want to I want to hit on bobcats too, but let's let's talk about coyotes. And you are 100% correct. It's amazing the number or at least what I've been told, the people who have set up game cameras at a coyote den entrance. It's amazing at the number of fawns that yeah. a coyote will bring into the to the den to feed pups. Yeah. If you haven't seen any of those stats or any of that information online, get out there and look at it. It'll blow your mind. Yeah, yeah they're deadly effective fawn predators. Yeah, and Very so... Much. Just like I said when we started this, we're not just helping out turkeys. We're helping out everything by getting rid of these critters. So let's talk right. about some coyotes and let's talk about okay. some, let's talk bait, let's talk sets, and then let's get into some advanced sets on coyotes because, you know, I think okay. they, they can get pretty wary when it comes to trapping. Mm -hmm. Okay. Basic sets for coyotes would be the, the number one and number two dirt hole set number one there are variations of a dirt hole set who invented it i have no idea but it's been successfully used for hundreds of years you know since mm -hmm. trappers have been trapping in north america dig a hole in the ground set a trap in front of the hole and guys will tell you one guy will tell you to dig your hole on a you know to dig a one inch diameter hole to use a, a a steel rod to poke a small tiny mouse hole to a little you know like a little wobble hole some guy will say to dig a one inch hole some guy will say a two inch hole some guy will say a four inch hole all of them catch coyotes yeah some of them will say dig it vertical into the ground some will say no on a, on a 30 degree and no on a 45 degree no flat even with the ground you know all those situations, all those guys catch coyotes. They're not telling you that because they don't catch coyotes. They're they're just saying that that's what worked for them. So that, starting with that, what every one of those sets, regardless of the whole size, the whole angle, if you're going to consistently catch coyotes, I would say the hands down number one thing you need to learn is to bed your trap in a way that it fires every time an animal steps on it. Mm -hmm. and make sure your trap is in perfect working order. So when an animal steps on it, it fires and it, and it holds the animal. And then bed your trap solid. So, and what I mean solid is when you put it in the ground in front of the hole, that the trap, if the animal were to step on the lever, the jaw, any place but the pan, that the trap doesn't wobble under his feet. Right. Now, I don't believe that the animal, that the coyote, when he steps on that, knows that it's a trap. He just believes whatever was dug out of that hole is now buried under the ground in front of the hole and was packed down. And so now he's going to start working at the trap instead of working what's in the hole. And what you're going to end up with is an exposed trap pulled to the side, and then your bait and lure, whatever's in your hole, is going to be gone out of your hole. Because he steps on that, it wobbles under his feet, he pushes it out of the way, maybe mm -hmm. he trips it, maybe he pulls it to the side, maybe he rolls in it because there's some kind of a foreign odor on it. But it all started with that trap not being solid in the ground. And it takes practice, it takes technique. You know, and the the second set would be a flat set, which basically would be some type of an object in front of a, a trap. It can be a, a taller object, a shorter object. Your trap couldn't be back tight to the object. It can be back nine and off three, back seven and off four. You're going to hear people say all these different things. Every one of them probably caught coyotes in their sets. Again, the biggest thing with that is make sure when that coyote walks up to that trap, he doesn't, when he steps on it, not on the pan or not the kill area, that the trap doesn't wiggle, doesn't move. Mm -hmm. I believe if you have enough animals visited or that, that lure or whatever attractor is on that object that's in front of the trap, whether it be a log, a rock, a bone, piece of bone, a tuft of grass, whatever it is you're making the set on, if it's a, a, a good enough attractor to the, to the animal, he pads around enough, sooner or later, he's going to step in it. But if he pads around enough, sooner he's going to step on the jaw and the lever and every other part of your trap prior to hitting the pan. If yeah. He doesn't just come right in and step on the pan. So that is in either of those sets, the most important thing to learn is to learn 
to bed that trap solid. If I was going to tell anybody that's getting into this, if just like shooting your bow and arrow, just like shooting your rifle and sighting it in, if you're going to go out and trap, you don't just take your trap out of your barn and walk out in the woods and put the trap on the, in the ground and hope it works. I would suggest guys go out and practice. Practice bedding your trap solid. And when you're done and you've sifted it over and you've blended your trap, push on that trap in every different location. Have a buddy, you have him make a set and you make a set. Him try to make your, your trap tip or wobble. And if you're new to this, that's something that would help you leaps and bounds the next time you go coyote trapping. If you're trapped, you can figure out a way to get that trap in the ground solid and no tip or wobble. And the other thing is, to like I talked earlier when I uh, that all will lead into other things when I talked earlier about uh, catching a lot of fur as a as a as a full-time fur trapper mm -hmm. is the speed so the more you do it the better you get it the faster you get it the faster the tra the more traps you can get in the ground in a day and the more animals you're going to catch it, it just works in, in in a ratio of numbers so if you're faster at getting more sets out because you're faster at getting a trap bedded in solid in the ground and you're confident with that you're going to be able to put in two sets instead of one at that location and move on down to the next location and get, you know, 50 traps in a day instead of 20 traps in a day. Yeah. So but okay. practicing that bedding, I guess maybe to get into more of that, there are, there are methods and I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name right now, but there was uh, I saw the first time I ever saw something called power bedding. It was in a, a demo in, I think Ohio at the national convention. And he used uh, a dowel and some nails to actually, once he put the trap in the bed, he used the nails and a dowel to secure the trap into the ground, regardless of what was under the trap. If it was mm -hmm. soft or rocky or whatever, he could use these, these small pegs to hold his trap in place to make it really solid. Since I've went to using barn spikes, three barn spikes. Yeah. And if I have really hard ground, I can take parts of the trap that are non-working, non-moving parts. There's spring pins. There's the the base frame where it comes up and holds the dog of the trap, or the base frame itself, where you can actually run a nail in long ways, you know, into the ground to the side of that, and use the head of the nail to hold the trap solid in the bed. And that's one of the easiest, simplest ways if you're a, if you're a novice to learn to bed a trap solid. It's slower you know, to get your trap solid that way than to just use the, you know, dirt or whatever is around the site to make that trap solid. It's quick right. and you have to carry nails with you. But if you're new to it and it's something that you want to, that's, if you're going to master one thing about it in canine trapping, that's one thing you really need to master. Once you get past that point, then you can then start worrying about offsetting your trap straight in front of the attractor, all these different nuances that go into making these sets right. you know, more effective. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, obviously that's important because it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what you're using as bait. It doesn't matter what kind of trap you're using. If your trap's not in good working order and yeah. if it's pushed aside by the animal, right, it's not going to do you any good at all. So exactly. exactly. from that point, once, once you kind of got that mastered and <clears throat> you're ready to go, what are you looking at using for bait and, and I remember from our first conversation about trapping from our first interview that you told me that anytime you walk past coyote dung, coyote mm -hmm. scat in the woods, that yep. you grab yep. that, put it in a bag, and you'll use that in a trap set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I thought, that, that you know, a, that's brilliant. I never even thought about that, but I don't yeah, trap. That is a fantastic attractor. And usually what I try to do is keep them separate if I possibly can. Mm -hmm. Like usually from one ranch or one farm, use the droppings from that farm at a different farm and, and vice versa. So I'm basically introducing this the stranger into that farm. Mm -hmm. And now that, that kind of leads in more toward the tough-to-catch type coyotes. And adding one of those droppings at your dirt hole set or your flat set can just be the icing on the cake for that coyote. The one that maybe wouldn't walk into most standard sets, an intruder's dropping really can just seal the deal in a lot of cases and make him make that many more, you know, foot places, foot placements around that set to urinate on it or whatever he wants to do, you know, at that set because he knows, hey, somebody news here, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I want to know who this is. So. Yeah, that that's one of the big ones. As far as bait and lure, I'm a when it comes to coyotes, for the most part, I'm a big big bait user. Can, okay. Coyotes can be caught on minute minute amounts of bait. Yes, I have good friends who catch lots of coyotes on minute minute amounts of bait. Mm -hmm. The guys I know that catch big volumes of coyotes 
in my opinion, myself included, use a lot of bait. Okay. Um, you know, some of my buddies that are lure makers aren't going to like me for saying this, but I, and maybe they will if, if everybody goes out and buys their commercial bait, but I couldn't afford to buy their commercial bait because of the volume of bait that I actually use. I mean, okay. if I'm setting, I'm using gallons of it and they're going to sell a gallon of bait for 80 to a hundred dollars a lot wow. of times, you know? And, um, so a lot of times I'm just using waste ground venison scrap if it's legal ground beaver meat uh and if you wanted to take a pint of the good quality bait the high-end good stuff of all these different you know good lure makers that are out there and mix it in with that so you're getting more volume right um but to but to me i prefer at a dirt hole set i like a double the size of a golf ball at, at a, you know a size of an orange a wad of bait mm-hmm. and i put it on a big wad of sheep's wool and I dig a hole that's 24 inches deep. I use an auger to dig a hole and okay. uh, dig a hole really deep so the coyote can't get to it. And then I layer my attractors in the hole if I'm using bait in a dirt hole set. So I'm going to take a big sheet, a lot of sheep's wool, put it down in the front of the hole. I'm going to take a big wad of bait. I'm going to put it on that sheep's wool. I'm going to jam it to the bottom of the hole. Then I'm going to dig another wad of sheep's wool and I'm going to take some type of a lure, which there's a lot of great lures out there, manufacturers. I was out west, west in New Mexico with Casey Payne, Payne Lures. He makes some fantastic baits and lures. We actually worked on a new bait um, when I was out there called Spurn Em Up that we smoked them on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just layering the tractors in, in the hole of the sheep's wool. And that was something that he didn't do before I got there was using the layering the tractors and using larger amount of baits. He was a very small bait user. But after I left, I think I kind of got him turning the corner on using more bait than he, I'm like, you're a bait maker. Why aren't you, why aren't you using this stuff? You know? Yeah. And uh, I think I kind of got him on that. Cause you know, really old school isn't really to use that kind of stuff. I guess maybe some of the old wolfers did and they were using whole groundhogs and, you know, uh, big hunks of venison and di- things like that down in a gopher hole. And they would catch coyotes that way. And that, that's kind of the same thinking to me is I want as much scent and volume of scent on the air current as I possibly can get out of that hole, but I want it so deep that the coyote can't possibly get it out of the hole and so he has to stay there and work at that hole and ultimately step in my trap you know and then in that case i think regardless if your trap is straight out in front of the hole nine back off three seven back off two whatever these all these things are it doesn't really matter um in in a in a set that's flat on the ground like that i prefer a larger jaw spread trap for a coyote so a six and a half inch jaw spread trap with a larger pan and what that'll allow me is a bigger kill area. So it just it's, it's a larger spot on the ground that he can step and get caught. If I go to a smaller trap, the difference of half of what he has to step on to actually get caught. And that's really the only reason for the larger, not because the larger trap is needed to hold the animal, because there's a lot of really good five-inch jaw spread traps out there that'll hold 90% of the coyotes get caught in them. It's just a matter of you have a larger kill area and you put that out in front of that hole, it just cuts down on the places that the coyote could stand when he tries to work to get the bait out of that hole. Okay. Okay. And are you using lure in the area around the hole? Everything everything for me goes in on a hole set. Everything goes in the hole. That's okay. how I use it. A lot of guys will put lure on the lip of the hole. And they'll, I believe a lot of your two, two step coyotes, they'll come in, you'll get a track on one side. He puts his nose on the lure. He's had enough. He steps over your trap and he walks away. It's because you put your, your lure out of the hole. So okay. I want everything in the bottom of the hole. That's, that's how I do it. Now on a flat set, it doesn't work that way. So you want something that he can't just grab and run off with in a flat set, my opinion out of a flat set. I don't want an object that he can just walk up to, pick it up with his mouth and walk off with it and roll on, roll on it. Because a lot of the times when they're attracted to something, really seriously attracted to something, they don't want to eat it. They want to wear it just like dogs do. You right. know, they want to put it on themselves. They want to rub on it, want to roll on it. A lot of times if he can pick it up and walk six feet off with it and roll on it over there, he's going to. Um, so I guess to get back to the initial of this, my, I think my philosophy on coyote trapping is their nose is so good. They know a human made that. And that's, that's what I think about it. I think that, that you, you aren't as clean as you want to be. You have got to get the coyote to step in an area where he knows a human put a piece of bait down that hole, mm-hmm. you know, or he put a smear of this on that rock and he's no longer here because I can smell in here. And he's gone. And now I'm going to come up sneaky like, and I'm going to grab whatever he put there because I really like it. It's attractive to me. And I'm going to go over here and roll on it. Or I want to get that out of that hole so I can roll on it or eat it or whatever it may be. Yeah. So if you have an object in a flat set, 
I prefer it to be a fixed object. So if I'm using, I use, and there's a lot of different names for it. It's basically a dowel rod with some sheep's wool glued to it that I drive into the ground where he would actually have to break a half inch dowel rod to take the head away from with me, okay. you know, with him. If he wants to put that lure on his neck or smell it or whatever, he's going to have to take it away and, and he's going to have to break that dollar. So he's going to spend some time there to, to, to move that. Um, if I'm going to use a chunk of wood, I want it large enough that he can't just, you know, pick it up and take off with it. I don't want a pretty good size hunk, you know, um, or a rock or a, a tuft of grass is great because you can actually smear it all over the blades inside the tuft of grass and he's not going to be able to just take that away. He's going to have to stay right there to work it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of objects like that. They're not as, as specific as, you know, how a hole set's made where, you know, you can force the animal with the angle of a hole to step in on one side or the other. They can come in from every angle, depending on the wind direction or whatever. So it's a little more, there's a little more luck involved in a flat set, I guess. Um, and you'll have more misses, more hind foot catches in a flat set because mm-hmm. your lures up above the ground. Um, but, you know, that's some coyotes just flat. You know, they're just so paranoid, they won't work a whole set. They'll walk up to it, make a track near it, and walk away. And uh, a flat set's what you almost have to use. Uh, and that's where those droppings really come in. Just a drop or two, a lure, and a dropping there is, an, is, is you know, just kind of... Uh, simple and plain enough that he'll walk up to something like that. And, and the guys that do a lot of control work and they have to take individual coyotes, that's what Casey is an expert at, is to is catching those coyotes that are, you know, goat killers or sheep killers or cat yeah. killers. And that coyote has to go. He's an expert at making those nice, really blended, salient type flat sets that has to catch that one individual coyote. Where I don't do much of that, I do more fur trapping. So my sets are usually bigger and gaudier and, you know, real kind of showy, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Because I'm just trying to catch all the dumb ones and who cares about the smart ones and let's move on to the next ranch. Right. You know? yeah. I, I want them because I want their fur. But if you're trapping an area where you're trying to control the population of coyotes and you want to take every individual that you possibly can out of there, you really need to get, you know, good at flat sets also. You know, good get good at using flat sets. You know, and then back it up with snares because there's coyote doesn't know what he doesn't know. He's walking down a trail and next thing you know, he's got a noose around his neck. He's, you know, he's uh, learned to learn to snare. That's a, that's another really deadly for smart coyotes. Snaring is if it's legal, you know, get good at it. It's, it's really, really effective. Yeah. So on these coyotes, how do you know where to even go to put the trap? Okay. we're, We're talking big woods. <clears throat> okay so are you, so we're are we talking southeast uh or, yeah well see, if it's gonna is, vary let's talk about the different regions because we have people from all okay. over the country listening so yeah because it's it varies it really varies i mean depending on where you are in the type of cover here in michigan uh, like if i'm when i'm fur trapping i'm looking for barriers or long-running features that connect large in our my farm country area that i'm in I like long running ditches that cut through big open areas. That's my preferred coyote tra- travel area, trapping area, because what we get is a lot of dispersal, which in, in October, I get a lot of the young coyotes that are traveling from one large block of timber to another large block of timber as they're kicked out of their pack because they're looking and they're looking for new territory. Mm-hmm. And then if I, have, if I have tractor lanes that split those ditches, those are, you know, hot spots. Okay. Okay. So that's really what I'm number one thing that I would look for. If I have other farms that I know have coyotes because deer hunters see coyotes there, they're saying there's coyotes around and it's just a pack and they don't have a long running barrier. I'm going to look for sign. I'm going to get out of the truck and I'm going to look, drive around on a four wheeler, whatever I have to do, look for tracks and look for droppings. Mm -hmm. If I find a concentration of tracks and droppings, usually then you're in a, in a, in a, you know, a a home core area of that pack of coyotes. So you're going to have a mated pair, male and female, and it's in it, maybe a subordinate or two, and then a pups from that year. And then, um, but if you're on these long running barriers, you, you're going to have, I can catch coyotes, five, five or six coyotes, and I can continue to catch coyotes because more coyotes are moving in from new areas. I get into these farms that are near these long running barriers. If I catch five or six coyotes out of there, I'm done. I won't catch coyotes there until next spring or yeah. maybe even next fall till new coyotes filter into that area, you know, right. for, for breeding purposes. Okay. So in the, in the South, a lot of it is your timber. You know, you, you like when we were at your place in Alabama there, you're looking at um, ridge tops that are going to be more travel routes. And then, and then exchanges from uh, new cut timber 
to, you know, old growth timber, mm-hmm. um, those transitions, uh, roadways that would separate those two. But a, a lot of it would be, you know, the, the ridge tops and, and the valleys that they'll use more in that, in that hillier mountain or mountainous terrain. And then okay. pinch points around the, in those areas. A lot of it is how we're, how you would cut a truck road through. Can I know the you know the the place we hunted? A lot of the truck roads were cut on the tops of the ridges because that's exactly. the easiest pathway without without going up and down through the valleys. Well, what's a coyote going to do? He's going to get on those truck roads if he's going to just you know disperse through that area and he's just going to walk that ridge top down that truck road. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's it. That's it would be a, a long dispersal route. You know, and if you have a lot of fingers coming off that main ridge, it's just going to feed more coyotes from them packs off the sides of those bluffs into that main ridge and then that main ridge where those intersecting fingers come in that's your location yeah. in, in the south more or less you know okay in the in the west now it it works kind of you know you're looking at the high spots in the in the in the southeast which would be a, a you know a prime location in the in the west where i was in new mexico this year it was really they use the washes so if right. if you have a main wash that runs through a through a uh, piece of ground and it's just large flat prairie at the top and not a peak to it a lot of what the coyotes will do is they'll walk in the washes because there's generally not a lot of the creeks there don't have water or don't have much water mm-hmm. and so water is really huge i mean when i i lived in arizona for a while when i trapped in arizona it was the same thing i started trapping out there and didn't wasn't catching a thing and i talked to a buddy of mine and he said well are you trapping around water and i said no i didn't know and he showed me yeah, there's a tank here there's a tank here there's a seep here these are the kind of things you need to be looking for i yeah. also went to these areas where there was a, a windmill and a tank and you i mean when you pull in there the quail start to fly the rabbits are running the, <laughs> everything all the around grass. the water yeah. exactly and that's where the coyotes are yeah. and so that's really what you look for in the wet. i mean we we were sitting around windmills um you know you're dealing with cattle pretty i mean that's that's everybody lives cattle is there's the lifeblood you know in that area um so you got to be you know if you're around the landowners and the ranchers out there in the dairy places you got to be really respectful to the the way they make their living and right you know, just it, it, it was it was a little new to me uh trapping out there in case you grew up out there um but understanding uh you know the, how important the water was in the ranch land um you know when we got more into the farm country uh we trapped around pivots a lot where they were watering you know wheat crops or whatever for feed for the cattle and then they would always the larger cattle uh operations the dairy operations uh, would have compost piles because i mean if you have sixty thousand cattle on a place you're going to have some die and they're mm-hmm. going to take those and put them in a compost pile till the dead truck comes and picks them up. And those coyotes know that those places exist. And, you know, so those are the places you really look for around those larger dairies was the places that they're composting their dead cattle, calves, or yeah. whatever it may be. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's where the coyotes will travel a long ways to get to those. Okay. But it was a pretty wet year out there this year, and there was a uh, uh, lot of uh, lot of quail, a lot of rabbits they were not lacking, uh, not lacking food. I, I brought uh, almost 80 coyotes back here to scrape and put up. And wow. usually they're not really that difficult to put up. Even the ones I catch around here don't have that much fat on them, but man, I was not having fun scraping coyotes. Those ones, they, some yeah. of them had, uh, had, had fat on them, you know, like raccoon do and raccoon have really thick fat if you're, you know, scraping the pelts to, to get them ready for auction. And there was a lot of work. So they're yeah. really, really healthy coyotes. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about bobcats quickly because okay. I don't know that there's a better hunter in the woods, period, than a cat. And I yeah. think it doesn't it doesn't matter what continent you're on. They're just incredible hunters. Quick reflexes, great instinct, yeah. great eyesight, great yeah. sense of smell, great hearing. I mean, it's hard to find a flaw in a cat other right. than the fact that I'm allergic to them and I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about yeah. the bobcats because you were telling me yeah. earlier that that coyotes are tougher to trap typically. Yeah, they are. I mean, and I, and I would say, you know, we were talking, we were, you know, saying, do you use the word intelligent? I don't know. It's just I think a coyote has is just more wary, and mm-hmm. you can use a a cat's natural inquisitiveness mm-hmm. against him, and that's one thing. And he and he's not very. You know, he's he's not very, I guess you could say, trap shy. So you can actually use an exposed trap and catch a catch a bobcat. He'll readily walk right on an exposed trap. If you make a nice with a pan is a nice clean place for him to stand, and he has no other place to walk, he has no problem step walking right on a trap. Wow. Um, 
And so there's a lot of Western trappers that'll just take like a piece of roofing shingle that's the same match color matches the ground and mm-hmm. put that on top of their pan. I've known really good trappers that will just sprinkle some of the the sand on top of the pan. What that allows you to do is not have to bed your trap any type of material. So a lot of the snow and rain and freezing and thawing and all that kind of stuff really doesn't have an effect on your trap. Right. Because it's just basically sitting there in a hole. Um, blocked in by sticks and sticks and rocks uh, where the cat would naturally travel. The other thing you can get them, you know, to come in their their tendencies is to they, just like a, a house cat would be is to rub. They like to rub. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, smells like beaver caster, uh, muskrat musk, things like that. They really are curious of those smells for rubbing. And then feathers, if it's legal, a lot of guys use Christmas tinsel. If it's that, that's, I think it's legal just about everywhere because it's artificial. But if feathers are legal or wings are legal, those are good attractors. I mean, I'm sure you've seen a cat, something flutter in the wind or a laser pointer or whatever. They're just inquisitive about it every every little thing. And you can kind of use that, that habit against them in, in trapping. Yeah. A lot of the same sets that you would use for a coyote, you can use it for, for bobcats. The again, you know, it, le- it leads to kind of the style of eye trap. I use a more of a, a bigger, gaudier kind of a, a, you know, set, something that kind of stands out, leads a little more to catching more bobcats than if you're doing the, you know, really kind of blended type coyote sets that a lot of guys use. For control trapping, you're not going to catch as many coyotes or bobcats in a set like that as you would if you were, you know, using more of a kind of a gaudy type set with a lot of attractor to it. Two, two holes instead of one hole or Okay. You know, doing something like that. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the same lures and baits work on coyotes as, as they do cats. You know. Okay. I guess something to be said about cats is is their the breeding season and uh, the, where the toms will travel a lot a lot farther distances. And uh, that's this time of year, usually middle of January, it starts and goes into the end of February is usually the, about the bulk of their breeding season. That's when a lot of guys will do their bobcat trapping because then you can have a lot of those toms from outside areas kind of just travel into your area and you can catch them that way. And that's something else to be said. If you're just a fur trapper, they, they can be controlled. Unlike, a, I mean, it takes a lot of work to control a coyote population. You got to really knock down the population. It takes a lot of work. They'll travel in. If you harvest a lot of bobcats in a specific area, it takes a little bit longer. They're not as prolific, I mm. guess you say, um, as a coyote is. And, and you can really control the population of bobcats. I mean, one tomcat, you know, traveling into your into your lease isn't going to create, you know, havoc on the place. But if you have a whole, you know, if you have females there and they have kittens and then and there's toms coming to them, and you have all those cats in there, watch out for your quail and turkey population. They're going to knock it down. Yeah. I mean, there's with that, that many mouths to feed, they're going to really be effective and they're going to knock it down. So and if you can take some of those, you know, younger cats and some of those females out and you just happen to have a Tom traveling through now and again, you're, you're not going to have any problem with those predators really affect your birds. So that's something that really help your turkey and quail and pheasant populations by harvesting the bobcats and keeping that numbers in check. Okay. Where are you setting those traps for bobcats? Same thing, Where travel routes, that kind of thing. As yeah, they're um, they they like thicker cover more. I would say, especially the the females and the younger cats. They're going to really be close to water sources. I think really no matter where you're at. If you're in the south, southeast, I would stay down in the bottoms along the creeks more than I would on the on the ridge tops. Now, okay. not to say you're not going to catch a cat on the on a ridge top if you're in a five year old pine cut over you know that thick dense pine mm-hmm. that's real they like that kind of cover they're the five-year-old clear cuts the same thing dense thick full of rabbits turkeys like to hide there that's the place the cats are really effective hunters in yeah. so those are the kind of places they like to travel in the bottoms more um, okay. along the creeks in the southeast um they do the same here in the north they like the swamps they like the cedar swamps and then in the northern part of michigan they travel cedar swamps and bottoms generally along waterways um, when you get in the west it's usually rim rock what they'll travel in the in the in the west is you're looking for like bluff faces the tops mm-hmm. of bluffs and then along bluff faces and a lot of it is they're ambush predators they need that you know they need that cover to catch a deer or catch a turkey or you know they're going to find a place where they can get above it on a limb or a, a broken you know overhanging log or something and they can sit and wait and then pounce on something you know, that kind of location, I guess. And then in those locations, I guess classic bobcat sets are more like 
like taking a bunch of logs and building a cubby and forcing that cat or forcing that cat to one habit they do have and and Casey used this a lot when we were out there when he did make cat sets is they like to they'll stop in front of a fence you know like if you make a and put a tractor in the back of a set he'll go into like a cedar tree or cedar bush and cut a, cut an opening into that bush so there's a hole that kind of goes back in he put his a tractor in the back of that hole whatever it would be artificial tinsel and different whatever stuff he was using there mm-hmm. and then he would make a uh, take a stick and kind of put it across like as, as a stepping stick but instead of putting his trap beyond the stepping stick he would put it he put the trap just in front of the stepping stick they have a habit of stepping just in front of something even if he was going to stretch his neck out and smell that and not commit into the set they have a habit yeah. of stepping just in front of something i used more of what we call a walkthrough set which would be uh where You'd have an area where maybe two cedar bushes would pinch close together, maybe four feet apart along the top of a bluff or along a along a bluff face. And then I would take sticks and logs and I would pinch that bobcat into a really narrow area and then have like two cedar boughs that were shoulder height of the bobcat and then just a maybe a six or eight inch wide gap between that brush that I would create between those between those bushes and then place a trap, rocks around the trap and get him to step walk basically walk through that gap that's why it's called a, a walkthrough set right and then i would usually use some type of a flag 15 feet one side of it and 15 feet the other side of it not right at the set it's more of a blind set that i was using there and if i was going to use any kind of a tractor or lure i would use it on the opposite side of it so if the cat walks up on this side and looks through that gap he sees that flag over there and says i want to walk over there and, and you know check that out if he's going to walk that way he's got to walk right over my trap to get that way mm-hmm. kind of object that set could be made in the southeast it could be made in the west it could be made north it could be made anywhere i know a lot of Lynx traps, Canadian lynx trappers use that same concept. Cutways, they pinch it all in and they'll hang a snare. Same concept. And then they'll put their tractor in the back down the lane 25 feet. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Okay. Are you going to do anything different for foxes than you would coyotes? Mm, not really. Not really. It's okay. just... Smaller trap? Smaller trap, yeah. I wouldn't use a six and a half inch jaw spread trap. Depending on the year here in Michigan where I live, uh, we have about 50-50 foxes and coyotes, depending on the, the year. Some mm-hmm. years we'll have, I'll catch more coyotes than fox, some years we'll catch more fox than coyotes. And so I try to use a in-between trap, MB550 is the my trap of choice here. Um, it's a wide jaw, jaw space, get virtually no damage on foxes' feet, I get no damage on coyotes' feet. I have no issue taking my bare hand and setting that trap and sticking my hand right in that trap. It does not hurt. I mean, doesn't leave a bruise on my fingers. It, it's designed, I, I, it's one of the best design traps. I, You know, the more and more I use it, the more I realize how well it was originally designed. It just is a really good holding trap. I still, you know, even in places in the West, I use it for coyotes. I mean, they're a great trap. They're very lightweight, easy to set, not really strong, so they're easy easy to set. And uh, that that's the, my trap of choice for, for fox slash coyote, or if I was even in, Eastern Pennsylvania, Maryland, where those guys are setting, you know, trapping lots and lots of fox, where there's only right. fox and not any coyote. I, I would, that's the trap I would go to. It's an, and it's a, the 550 is, it's a five and a half inch jaw spread trap. So it's an inch smaller than the, you know, coyote trap I typically would use. Yeah. Um, but again, hole, bait, lure, you know, layer the attractor. They're no nowhere near as difficult to catch as coyotes. They're not as wary. Usually, when they work, start to work a set, and they get a smell of something, and they can't get to it, they're gonna stay there till they get to it. Okay. You know, there's sometimes coyotes will walk up, they'll do two kickbacks on the side of the set, they'll dig a little bit, they'll realize I can't get to that, and they'll walk away. Work your set from the back, or they'll do something different. Foxes, most of the time, if they get a smell of that, they're gonna sit there and dig and dig and dig until they until they get that attractor out of that hole. You know, they, they're, they're gonna, they're just more persistent that way. Okay. So they're easier to catch in that, in that, you know, case. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's talk quickly because we're running long on time and I'm not as concerned about that for me as I am you, because I don't think you've eaten dinner. I haven't. Yeah. And (laughs) and you've got a wife over there that's going to be mad at me when I see her here in a couple of weeks. So uh, if I keep you from dinner much longer. So let's talk about dispatching these animals. And and I know as far as what I'm doing, which is trying to control predators, I'm not as concerned about the hide, even though really there's no reason why I couldn't 
take those hides yeah. and, and sell them. But I'm concerned about saving my turkeys. So yeah. I know a 12-gauge, a 22, whatever <laughs> is going to dispatch any of these animals perfectly right. fine. That's not going to be an issue. Yeah. But yeah. I, when I was talking to you the other day on the phone, I said, tell me where the brain is on a raccoon. So right. just to keep me from having to look it up, because I'm not going to tell the story that I told you yeah. on the yeah. show. It just wasn't very humane. And yeah. you explained they're to me tough. where the brain is. They are tough. Yeah. Very tough. If, so, they're, if they're facing you it, in between their eyes, just a little above their eyebrow is where you want to shoot. Okay. So you, that's, that's where you're going to kill them the quickest. After we talked about that, that's the way I used to dispatch. I used to carry a you know a little twenty two handgun, a twenty two rifle with me, and I used to dispatch everything with a with, with a uh, CB short subsonic. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a hand clap. It's a very po- nice thing I like about it is it's a quick and positive way. The drawback is blood. You have to deal with blood on the fur, blood at the set, blood on the pelt. You know that whole dealing with that is that's no fun. Cleaning that off. I have since, and it's just been in the last year, uh, I've seen this poll. Um, there's a new catch poll out. It's been out for a few years. The guy's name's Lee Steinmeier. I hope Lee don't mind me you plugging his product. Probably uh, not. But it is a very effective product. It's called a death ray. It is a catch pole with a caulk gun handle. So you hear death ray and you think I'm going to electrocute him, but it's not. It's, uh, <laughs> It's a uh, it's a catch pole with a caulk gun handle. It's a and it's just a very well built product. One thing you do have to watch for is the cable can kink up on you if they get it in their mouth and chew on it because of the type of cable he's using. But that type of cable is needed to dispatch the animal this way. You can you just take the the poles, put it over the animal's neck like a regular catch pole, pull it tight. You can do this with a raccoon, do it with a coyote. You can do it very effective on a bobcat because their veins are very high in their neck. It's the only way to kill a bobcat. Cinch the pole down, give the cock handle, give the handle a few cocks. It chokes them down like a snare around their neck. They very quickly pass out, and because of blood, you know, blood loss to the brain, they pass out. You can take them out of the trap, slide them to the side of the set. As they expire, there's no blood at the set. That's it's a really great way. So I've used I used that for a year. Took that method to New Mexico when I was trapping with Casey this year, and started out using my pole. But then I quickly realized when you go and you catch a double on coyotes, now I've got one pole and the numbers we were catching out there, it started, it takes a little while for it to, for them to actually expire completely with that. If you release it from them, they'll, they can come back. Right. So I hook, I catch it, we get a double, I catch one coyote, put him down with the death, death, you know, death ray, put him in the back of the truck with the pole still on him, get the other coyote with his death ray, we go down the road and there's a third one. And I'm thinking, okay, this is pretty quick. And Casey's like, you know, those poles are great, but let me show you something. He takes an axe handle out. Obviously, he's killed thousands and thousands of coyotes with this axe handle. And he walks up to the coyote and taps him in the tip of the nose. The coyote just kind of stuns him a little bit. He lays over on his side. He stretches the coyote out a little bit as he's stunned. He gives him a really nice, really clean, sharp strike right across the middle of the throat where his arteries would be high in his neck. Mm -hmm. You call those arteries there high in the neck. And the coyote immediately flares out, stiffens right up, and expires in seconds. Is I mean, where you can see when he expires, just reach down, touch his eye, he doesn't blink, he's expired. And I'm looking at him like, and there's not a drop of blood. And he yeah. gets the coyote out of the trap, and I'm remaking the set, and I'm thinking, wow, that was pretty amazing. You know, next set we go to, he does the same thing. And I'm thinking, I'm going to try this. So I tap the coyote, dunk him in the neck, dunk him in the neck, I'm thinking, I don't think I'll ever dispatch a coyote any other way now until somebody shows me a better method. But what it effectively does from talking to him is it actually gives the coyote a stroke. You burst the blood vessels in his neck and those arteries, and it sends a shot of blood to his brain. It gives him a blood clot to his brain, and it gives him a stroke. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's they're out in, in, in seconds. I mean, it, it's very humane. It's quick. And no blood. You can tell when you skin them, there's big blood clots in their, right on their veins in their throat. You, you got to be really precise with your, with your strike at his throat. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it might take a, a hit or two, but once you get it down, I started using my stake driver to do it, you know, later in the trip and, and with a skinnier stake driver, I think was actually even maybe a little more effective than his wide ax handle, just because of the way it struck and burst the veins there in his yeah. neck. And then when you skin the coyote, there's no blood. It, it it was a really effective way of dispatching the coyotes and really humane. I mean, I was really uh, pleased with that, that it, it puts them down quickly and they don't, and it, it's very positive too. Like, yeah. like it would be if you shot them in the head, basically doing the same thing, but just doing it internally. Right. Right. And, and you, 
recommend a catch pole for bobcats because they do suffocate or yeah, choke out so they, easily. They they choke out really easily. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And even on a, on the raccoons, I you know I haven't tried this the the throat hit method on a raccoon. I I know other trappers that catch lots and lots of raccoons and they have you know talked to me about other methods. I haven't seen it firsthand so I can't speak exactly, but they're doing a method where they hit them in the heart with the stick and they give it the you know the raccoon a heart attack and it kind of does the same thing. You know, the, but I know the the death ray pole works fantastic on the on raccoons and it puts a raccoon down and in seconds just like a fox most of the time with the foxes this year i didn't even have to tap them in the nose i just put the catch pole over their head and even didn't have to tap them they usually just pull straight away from me anyways and when you get over to them you just loop it over their head and pull it tight and cock it down and within five seconds you're making your set and the coyote in the cat in the fox is laying limp on the side of the catch circle yeah i mean it's it's real real effective methods so i would yeah. you know i don't know what lee if he has a website or anything like that but you know i'm sure you can you know search it online and find his find that death ray pole yeah okay we'll check that out and i will tell you this is just one time so very very limited experience or trial at this but that's after you and I talked and you told me about hitting the coyote in the neck with the axe handle, that's what we did to the raccoon today. And he bled out of his nose. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Ah, I don't know if that's, you may different animal. Yeah. Yeah. And you may try it and not have the same result that I had, but there was a lot of blood. Okay. Oh, (laughs) Okay. okay. So, and so tell me, obviously blood on the traps is no good. Yeah, it's not the end of the world as long as your if your trap's bedded solid and your you got good bait volume of bait in your hole or a good attractor and your trap's bedded solid, it's not bad because typically if there's a little bit of blood on your trap, I carry a wire brush in my bag. I, I every time I'm doing a remake, I go through my trap and I scrub my trap down. If there's blood or anything like that on that, I'm gonna clean that off. So I getting all that blood and and, and stuff off of the trap. And then going ahead and, you know, rebedding it. But as far as the traps that I used in from the beginning of season this year, they were used in New Mexico and I'm going to Texas in March to do predator control. And those traps, I waxed them in, in October, early October. And those are the same traps I'm using. I didn't really do nothing else to them other than I didn't do anything to them in New Mexico. I power washed them here before I left at the the power wash. They're going to get power washed one more time before they go into totes and go to Texas and get used. You know, I don't really, I'm not, the wax is to protect the trap. Again, I really believe that they know a coyote knows, and that's the animal you really, you're going to, I mean, if it comes to scent that you really need to trick, they know a human made the scent, the set. Uh, they don't. They don't think something else made it. Right. That's that's how I look at it. I think if you use that, if you use that mindset, they're they're trying to steal something from a person. Just like if they got in your garbage can and they grabbed something and and, and took off. Some are more brazen. Some aren't brazen. Some aren't gonna walk, are gonna walk up to a set like that and walk away. They know you've been there. That that's something that I'm pretty sure of. Yeah. They, that they know a human made that and. Uh, and that's why I kind of leave you with this too, is a lot of really good ADC guys that have worked places, uh, you know, the Western coyote guys that work in counties or they work in certain regions. Those coyotes know that person, that individual. He could have a friend come in and make a new set on a tough to catch coyote and most likely catch that coyote in the first night or two because it's a new smell. Sure. So they under that, that coyote knows that person. It's it's no different than with me here on my trap line. I've trapped coyotes here in this area for years, and I'm sure if I brought another trapper that was versed at bedding a trap solid and using good lures and baits, and I brought them along on my line, they're going to most likely catch more coyotes than I am on my line. Because even if our sets are side by side in the same location in the same kind of set, mm-hmm. because those coyotes know me there, they don't know whoever else I'm bringing with me on this line. Yeah. You know, and that and that just plays into how well these critters can smell. I mean, they can they know the difference between one person and another person. You know, they know your the dog the dog smell on your shoes. Yeah. You know, they, if you've been to somebody else's house and petted their dog, you come home to your dog and your dog knows it. Oh, yeah. And uh, coyotes are no different. You kneel at a set, you wear leather boots at your set instead of rubber boots. The coyote knows. He knows where you've been, What you, if you have a dog at home. If you don't have a dog at home, if you have a cat at home, those coyotes know all that stuff when you when you walk away from that set. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, I, it makes complete sense, and it's something I had never really thought about. But you're you're right. I mean, they're they're so yeah. good with their noses; it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome, man. I have picked your brain and picked your brain and picked your brain this <laughs> evening. And I, I hope it's I hope that I've left you something to uh, to get through the night with, some brains to get through yeah. the night with. I know you got a lot up there, so greatly appreciate it. And as you can tell, I've got tons of questions and i've got even more questions we're okay just, i'm okay. just not gonna keep you on the phone any longer because we're yeah, yeah. up on two hours and, and i want to get you back to oh your man night, so. i didn't realize it was that long yeah yeah it, but, get me talking about trapping and there it goes well and, and yeah. you know it's just there's so many ways to do it and be successful yeah. at it and there's so yeah. many different critters you can try to trap and sure. There's so many different ways to dispatch them. There's so many different baits to use, blah, 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 on and on and on, mm-hmm. that I really think you and I could talk for 24 hours about trapping and still not cover everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's full podcasts on trapping that have been going on for years, and they still haven't touched all the subjects. I mean, there's yeah. just no way you can you can hit everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's something I love, and I mean, you were, we're only talking about, you know, basically predator control you know we're not talking about muskrats and beavers and otters and you know all the specifics that go into fur trapping and then putting up fur and all the other things that go along with it yeah yeah so it's it's never ending i love to learn i learn every year you know i always i always think if i'm not if i'm not changing something i'm not learning so i need to keep keep learning and trapping with new guys and, and and learning new things and i just love going out and and uh, one of my things helping my wife is is doing uh, emceeing the demos, and I've just picked up so much information over the last four years that we've done this, getting to mic up these pro trappers and expert trappers from all over the country, really all over the world, guys from Australia and Canada and everywhere else, and yeah. pick their brain about all their different techniques that guys use. And, you know, it's just been a pretty awesome experience being able to learn from all these guys for these years. And Absolutely. Uh, just, yeah, never, never keep, uh, you know, and, and never think I even come close to, you know, knowing it all. That's for sure. Man, I mean, you, you think back to what the wild, wild west may have been or really just the, the this whole country was like before it really became developed over the past, mm-hmm. you know, 150 years. And think back to these frontiersmen and the knowledge that they probably took to their grave about trapping that we may never know. Oh. Absolutely. It's crazy. It was, it was, yeah, a lot of really close held secrets then. There, a lot of that information is really public now. I mean, it's, it's a lot more available. The really good information, the true information is a lot more public now. You know, a lot of people are making it more public because they have businesses built around it too, luring big companies and and that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I I will give a a shameless plug here. I guess we talk about that. Casey and I, when we were in New Mexico, we actually uh, put together a, are working on now putting together a video of a coyote trapping video, long line, the high plains. And uh, that will be available in April from Minnesota trap line products. They're partnering with us on the, on the project. And, uh, so if anybody is interested in, in uh, the, the stuff that I talked about and then a lot more um, that we're going to have in a, in a, you know, right around a two-hour video, you'll be able to get that from Minnesota Trapline Products this spring, and it'll be available. So. Awesome. So do you know the website right off the top of your head? I don't, but if you Google – it's MTP – if you if you Google Minnesota Trapline products, um, it will it will come up. Okay. And then uh, yeah, Payne Lures, Casey Payne, they're uh, I think the exclusive distributor for his lures and baits, and um, they'll have our our video. Um, the producer on the video, and we've got a good friend editing it right now. He's working on it starting this week, and and uh, so great. We're putting that together. That's cool stuff. I'll have to check that out. So tell me about the National Trappers Association quickly and what you guys do. And then do you know the booth number for the NWTF show? I don't. We moved. We're on the other side. I think one booth closer to the one row closer to the back. Um, I do not know our booth number. I think we're over and around where all the call makers are or the call guys are now. Uh, We were over in the outfitter section last year. And uh, I think we moved over one. I think they get a little more traffic over that way, had some booths available. So uh, we will be there. And the National Trappers Association, we 
defend trappers' rights all across the nation and in with our you know, working with our affiliate affiliate state associations. We have just like the NWTF, but the trappers, uh, our rights are uh, regularly under attack. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a lot more work to do when it comes to reaching out, getting membership, but we have to have on-staff attorneys fighting in, fighting in not only in the states that they're trying to take away our rights regularly. I know uh, California last year just lost bobcat trapping just from some simple silly snafus that happened in government. The biologists were weren't very happy that they uh, outlawed. Uh, you know, wasn't it wasn't based on uh, sound science right. put it that way. They just outlawed it because they didn't want guys trapping around uh, some federal areas. Some and yeah. now they're. I think they have they have a new uh, initiative the antis do against Humane Society of the United States has against large cats, mountain lions and bobcats in Arizona. It's a new one they picked up that we're fighting, but it's it's all over the it's all over the country and it's it's a nonstop thing and if you're not involved in the NTA and you don't get the publication in the magazine, you don't realize the work that goes in to, you know, just inside the state organizations. I actually had the opportunity to uh, write a some legis- or write a law to go on the books here just recently because of things that I'm, I'm not going to get into detail through my, my local association in Michigan, you know, over anti threatening to sue us and attack us here in Michigan. So we had to change the regulations to appease them. And it's just a nonstop thing. And if you're not involved, you don't understand that. You don't see that we're so close to losing our rights as trappers, as fur trappers. Now, you know, I, I try to talk to these guys, a lot of guys on a regular basis that, that aren't involved and don't see what's going on, that they just want to kind of sweep it under the rug. Oh, there's always going to be trapping. Well, not necessarily, you know, and I, and I honestly believe in the states that have lost trapping. I mean, there are states in, you know, in the United States where foothold traps are illegal, body grip traps are illegal, and you can only use cage traps. Arizona yeah. public land, Colorado public land, places you wouldn't think they're wild west places and they just, you know, they don't allow trapping. They don't allow management of the resource. So if you had prop problems with animals, you have to call an ADC guy in to come in. And, and that's what it would turn into. You know, without the yeah. NTA, without the state associations, we'll, we'll all just be ADC guys, you know, and then you're going to have to hire somebody to come in that's licensed and you can't just go out and do it yourself and manage your property. You're going to have to hire a licensed control person to come in and control the raccoon population that's getting out of control or the coyote population that's getting out of control. And, and, and we as trappers don't want to see that happen. We want to be able to take care of it ourselves. We want to be able to go out if the beavers around here are damming and flooding the road. They can call a trapper, and beavers may may only be worth $10, but there's still a trapper that enjoys to do it. That go, will go over there, catch the beavers for $10, make use of the meat, make use of the glands, make use of the fur you know, take out the dam and there's no more problem at no cost to the state. Right. If we lose our rights, the state's got to pay an ADC guy or they have to have a person on staff that they have to pay that comes out of your tax dollars, mm-hmm. you know, and if we're not regularly fighting these initiatives by, you know, the antis, we, we just, they slowly whittle away at our, at our rights. And, and we exactly lose right. ground every year, we lose ground every year. Yeah. And I don't think guys really realize, and they ask me, well, what did the NTA do for me? And I said, well, we're fighting, but we're losing. We need help. You know, we need every every person we can. We need every membership dollar we can. Yeah. And uh, partnering with NWTF has been a huge help. They're really, you know, I think realizing that, that this conservation and, and management of the natural resource from the bottom to the top of all the animals is so important for the turkey and that that our our uh, relationship with NWTF and in the NTA has been really important. Yeah, and I think people are starting to realize how important it is. Yeah, what are the annual dues for joining NTA? Uh, it's thirty five dollars, and you okay. get six issues of the American Trapper. I think we have discounts if you get a three year membership. Yeah, and we can join online. Yep, NTA. Just National Trappers Association. I'm not sure of the website, but yeah, Google National yeah, Trappers National, Association. Yeah, yeah, you get through that. Very mm-hmm. cool. I need to go join tonight. Yeah, that'd be great. No reason not yeah, come to come see it. Come see us at our booth. We'll sign you, know, you up. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to come see you at your booth anyway. <laughs> but when I come over there, instead of us just talking and shooting the breeze, I'm going to make you work and I'll make you sign me up. <laughs> I can't make okay, you we'll do, do anything, that. but I'll get you to sign me up. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that. Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be cool. Awesome. Well. I hope that people listening 
it's a small amount of money, and I hope that they will join because we do all have to stick together. And if, even if you're not a trapper, mm-hmm. even if you're like Andy Galliano and just want to do it casually to mm-hmm. help your turkey population out, or even if you have no interest in it at all, we need to understand that controlling predators it benefits everything that we do as hunters. And so we need to help those out who are interested in doing it and protect their rights to do it. And really is protect all of our rights for everything because right. they're getting infringed on all across the board, no matter what it is, whether it's hunting related mm-hmm. or trapping related or what it happens to be. So, all right, I'm off my political soapbox <laughs> because I don't really want to be on it. And I am going to tell you, thank you very much, sir. I really do appreciate it. I really do look forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks at the NWTF yeah. show. Tell Tammy, your lovely bride, I said hello, and I look forward to seeing her as well. And I'll catch you soon. Tell Tammy and we said hello too, and we will see her in Nashville. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Have a great night. Okay, buddy. Thank you. You too. All right. Yep. Goodbye. All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed that interview with Trent. I really want to start trapping some of these larger predators. You know, I've been trapping the small predators off and on for years. But after talking with Trent about trapping several times, I think I've got a pretty good foundation to start with with these bigger predators. So I am going to get some traps and give it a whirl this year. So that's all that I've got for you guys this week. And I have to tell you that I am really fired up about bringing you some interviews from the NWTF convention this coming weekend. I really want to up the game a bit with this year's Turkey Palooza, and I think that you're not going to want to miss the next couple of episodes, especially those of you who are listening who are relatively new to the sport. So if you've been turkey hunting for less than, I'd say, seven or eight years, eight or ten years, then These next couple of episodes, I think, are going to turn out really, really good. Okay, so if you're a more experienced hunter, do not worry, because there's going to be some awesome content for us old-timers as well. Most likely, there's going to be a lot of things that we can pick up from these upcoming shows. I'm talking about these upcoming shows like I've got them recorded, but I just know that this is going to turn out really well and that we're going to have some awesome content from it. I'm really excited about it. So before I let you go this week, please remember my ginormous favor from last week, because that is my ginormous favor for this week. And that is, number one, if you're going to the show in Nashville, and you see some of the personalities who have been on this show, like Brenda Valentine, Harold Knight, Tom Kelly, Jimmy Primos, Cuz Strickland, Preston Pittman, Eddie Salter, Chris Parrish, the list goes on and on and on. When you see those men and women, please do not forget to tell them thank you for coming on the show. Let them know that you heard them on this show and that you really appreciate them sharing information with us. All right, so I don't know where every single one of these guys are going to be, but I do know where some of them are going to be. So if you're going to the convention, grab a pen and a paper real quick. Write this down, stick it in your pocket, and when you're walking around the exhibit hall, stop at the booths for these companies where these guys are going to be and thank them for coming on the show. So Mitchell Johnston, who owns Dead End Game Calls, he was on episode 73, dissecting a diaphragm call. Mitchell is going to be at booth 1244. Harold Knight and Chris Parrish with Knight and Hell Game Calls, they're going to be at booth 1429. Harold was on episode 7 where we talked about public land hunting. Chris Parrish was on episode 31 and episode 78 where we talked about turkey calling. Cuz Strickland with Mossy Oak. He was on episode 29 where we talked about patterns and habits of wild turkeys. And Cuz is going to be at booth number 401, 501, and 502. They have multiple booths there at the show. Trent Masterson, who you've just heard in this interview with the National Trappers Association, is going to be at booth number 1929. He was also on episode 6, where we talked about trapping as well. Preston Pittman, who you guys heard a couple of weeks ago, he's on episode 35, episode 74, and episode 119. He's going to be at booth number 1629 and 1641, which is an end cap. So it's the same booth, it just takes up two spots on the end of a row. Jimmy Primos, 
with Primos. I had him on to talk about turkey hunting with decoys. He is going to be at booth number 1101. Tom Kelly, who was on episode 3, he's going to be at booth 2162. Eddie Salter with Flextone, he was on episode 30 and episode 66, where we talked about different hunting scenarios and how he would approach those scenarios. He's going to be at booth 201. Steve Hickoff is going to be there. I don't know of a booth that Steve's going to be at. And Steve's been on a couple of shows where we've talked about fall turkey hunting. Josh Carney's going to be there. And you'll be able to recognize Josh because he is a handsome, strapping young lad in a wheelchair. But mainly you're going to be able to recognize him because he's going to be the one honking like a goose, gobbling like a turkey, and yelping like a turkey with his natural voice. So you'll be able to pick him out pretty easily. JT Burns going to be there. And I think JT and Steve are going to be doing another seminar this year about turkey dogs. I, I'm not 100% on that. And if they are, that's one you want to go check out. That's a great seminar. And you can meet both Steve and JT there and thank them for coming on the show. Somebody you're probably not going to recognize, but if you happen to see him and catch the name on the name tag, is Pete Muller with the NWTF. We've had him on episode 65 and 116, just as kind of a preview show for the NWTF convention. And then, of course, Jeff Buds is going to be there. And Jeff is with Taggett Worldwide. And Jeff's booth number is number 923. And if you remember, Jeff was on episode 86. So those are some of the people that you'll be able to find at the show. And I really do appreciate you guys making an effort when you get to those booths to find those guys and thank them for coming on the show. All right, so the second part of the ginormous favor is this. When you are there and you're roaming around the show and you see someone that you would like to hear come on the show and share information with us, tell them that you would really like to hear them on the Turkey Hunter podcast. Give them my email address and ask them to hit me up. I'll do everything I can to get them on the show and bring you some great content from them as well. Lastly, when you get to the show, email me, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com, and we will do our best to meet up. I would love to shake your hand, and thank you personally for listening to the show. If you're on Twitter, then PM me on Twitter. Let me know that you're there. Be a little bit patient with me because I'm going to be in and out of seminars. I'm going to be in and out of the calling contest. I'm going to be doing interviews. I'm going to be very busy while I'm there, but I will make every effort to meet you if you reach out to me. That's all that I've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know that you have choices and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Hunting Afternoon Birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.